Hello, everybody. Kyle and I are both in the United States watching Oilers hockey and on vacation. We do have a banked episode looking into the Oilers cap situation coming up. We did just want to take this opportunity to remind everybody that we are going to be at Alley Cap Brewery this Saturday at approximately 4 p.m., recording about a 20-minute episode and then having some beers before we head off to the Jets game. If anyone wants to stop by say hi, bullshit about the Oilers, or anything else, have a couple beers. You're more than welcome, and we hope to see you there. Stay tuned for this banked episode, though. This is the Oil Country Podcast. Presented by the Hockey Podcast Network. Every team, everywhere. Welcome back to the Oil Country Podcast. As always, from Edmonton, Alberta, and currently in Las Vegas, Nevada, I'm your host, John. Joining me from typically Montreal, Quebec, but in Los Angeles watching some Oilers games is Kyle. So this is a banked episode that we're doing. Kyle and I are both on vacation catching Oilers games in the United States we're going to talk, obviously, about our trips coming back next week. But This is a banked episode we recorded uh, well about a month ago by the time it comes out. We're recording on February 1st for this episode. Kyle, how are you doing, man? I'm okay. I'm looking forward and dreaming of the sun down there because, you know, I'm sick of the fucking cold in Canada, like eight months of the year, as always. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, dude, let's, let's fucking break down the cap situation heading into next season. Yeah, looking forward to it. I always, I don't know, I'm a big cap junkie, as as are you, Kyle, and I like looking at that, you know, like the financial side and trying to build a roster that way. So we're going to give our best shot to kind of project that salary cap and what Ken Holland's options are in this episode. I, I am excited as well, though, too. Uh, for I, I'm only in California for like four days. I think you're in Vegas for just a couple days as well, too, right? But five, after that, yeah, five days in Vegas. Yeah, after that, we're both coming back to Alberta. So I get to be on the other side of the country again, and I will be back in Edmonton hanging out with John as well. I'm going to a game at the end of the month on the 29th against the Jets. So I'm looking forward to the whole time away, man. I, I'm happy to go see my parents again, my brother, my dog, my everything, dude. Fucking I miss Alberta. It's it's a good escape here. And and for any new listeners, Kyle and I have never actually met in person, so that'll be wild too. We obviously know each other really well. We probably well won't record any more episodes for, after for that. a year, but what's that? Yeah, we'll, we'll just be done here. Yeah, just be like, oh, <laughs> this guy is a total fucking tool bag. That is not what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> no, we know each other pretty well, so it'll be kind of weird. I've never really had like an online buddy or anything like that, so it'll be kind of we're like BFFOL. Pen pals, but yeah. Yeah, we're like pen pals, but instead of writing letters to each other, we just record our audio. <laughs> well, I mean, fucking you were talking earlier about what a cap junkie you were and and how invested you get into it. And like, I, I know some people are, you know, armchair, whatever, couch GMs, whatever fucking people call it. But like, my God, dude, you are like the definition of an armchair GM. You are texting me crazy shit all the time that I am like, John, <laughs> take a deep breath, calm down, Ken Holland, fucking, we will figure this out as a team, so. I mean, I am a Ken Holland fan, but yeah, there's definitely, I'm, I can be pretty critical, and I don't know, I like looking into that, you know, like, I'd, I'd easily say I'm not qualified whatsoever, I will admit, I'm definitely just an armchair GM. It's nice to pretend, though. Definitely yeah. dream job would be a GM of a hockey team. I'm not qualified whatsoever, but I, I think it'd be fucking awesome, so, anyway, 
anyways, let's get into that cap situation and see what the Oilers options are as of July 1st and what Ken Holland's maybe going to do. Stay tuned, everybody. This is a little bit difficult and we're going to try our best to not just rattle off numbers at everyone for an hour or for half an hour or however long this takes. So we're going to try and break it down so it's a little bit easier to listen to and follow along. So starting with can the you, offense. Can you talk slow? Because my math teacher always made me stumble over numbers. So <laughs> talk like hey, Cal, I'm a, you know. $84 million projected cap space. Oilers currently on the committed for next year is $63.269,498. How much cap space are they going to have? <laughs> oh my God. Uh, it's like 20 and a half million. Yeah, you're pretty close. So yeah. we are like, like I said, and kind of joking there. But just, I'm just kidding. I fucking. We're, know we're looking at that. No, you're pretty accurate. We're looking at that projected cap going up about two and a half million dollars to eighty-four million. Obviously, that is not confirmed. It's just rumors right now. So that could be higher. It could be lower. It all depends on the profit and everything going on with the NHL as a brand. So with that, as of right now, committed, we have about. 63 and we'll round it to about a quarter of a million dollars. So looking ahead with that projected cap space, we've got about $20.73 million. So starting with the offense on the books, obviously, as of right now, without buyouts, trades, anything like that, hopefully for our sake, nothing happens in this next three weeks because that could change this, obviously. But Cassian just re-signed. We've got McDavid. We have Neil, Nuge, Dreisaitl, Yamamoto, Benson, most likely, Chieson and Kara currently on the books committed for next year. Our UFAs for the forward group are Shehan, Archibald, which both Kyle and I are going to get into a little bit more, but we think those guys are going to be re-signed. You've also got Gagne as a UFA, Haas as a UFA, Patrick Russell, Nygaard, Granlund, and Yurko as UFAs. Those are kind of the more notable guys. And then down in the non-NHL candidates, you've got Marodi, McLeod, Gambardella, all committed for next year under a million dollars. Marodi's the biggest cap hit there with 925K. And then you've got Curry as an unrestricted free agent and Cave as a restricted free agent. None of those guys were really bouncing out saying like, oh, that guy's going to make a jump and be a huge player for us. But you just never know how the you know production and, and development goes for those guys. Maybe they are NHL players, so it's worth mentioning. So biggest holes on offense are obviously that fourth line center, assuming Shahan and Archibald are resigned, but we're going to get into it a little bit later, but also entertaining the idea of moving Nuge back to the third line center, maybe moving Benson up in Neil's spot and dropping Neil down to that third line and going after a top six winger. But we obviously need to know how much cap space we have. Sorry, I'm going to be ranting here a little bit at you guys. As far as defense, it's looking fairly solid other than two guys are RFAs, obviously, and Nurse and Bear. We've got Clefbaum and Larson on the books for next year. Russell, who has been kind of swirling around a lot of fans, think it makes sense to trade him and dump that $4 million in cap hit. You've also got Benning as an RFA. Caleb Jones just signed for that eight hundred fifty k for the next two years. And then guys like Bouchard, maybe even Person. Broberg. Broberg's probably going to need a year in the AHL, if not more, before he's an AHL player, but worth mentioning, obviously, that high draft pick. So our defense is looking fairly solid. Ken Holland has some options there, but not expecting any big acquisitions, putting a ton of money towards any unrestricted free agents coming to the Oilers that aren't already currently Oilers. Goalies, we have Miko Koskinen signed for two more years. And then we've obviously got, as everyone knows, Mike Smith will be a UFA this summer, getting up there in age. 
And maybe he's back, maybe he's not. So as far as the re-signings goes, this is where Kyle and I are going to kind of debate a little bit potentially, but I think we're kind of on a pretty similar page. So the biggest one as far as money-wise goes is Darnell Nurse. Now, we're not going to get into a huge amount of should we re-sign Darnell Nurse? Should we trade him? That's not really the intent of this episode. Kyle and I have him at a high number of $6 million. I think there's a chance he gets higher, but with the concerns, I think if he wants more than $6 million, you're probably looking at a short-term prove-it deal where they're going to look at like a one or a two-year deal at $4 million. He'll be a UFA after that and kind of say, hey, look, Darnell, prove it to us. Prove that you're worth that money and we'll either pay you when you're a UFA or if not, if you prove it, someone else is going to. So kind of two different options, but we're projecting him right now signing a mid to long-term deal at $6 million. Then you've got Ethan Bear. Kyle, we have him at about a two-year, $3 million or under bridge deal. And that the good thing about going a two-year is he's still an RFA. If he went for a three-year deal, he'd be over 25 and qualify as that group six unrestricted free agent. If you want to know more about that, check Cap Friendly. We have done our homework here, so we know he would be a UFA. Me and John had to dig in deep into Ethan Bear just to figure out when his actual um, restricted free agency was going to be finished because he had the first year that got his slide rule took effect, right, John? So he technically has only had three years as a professional player right now, even though he's been under contract for four. And the rule is is that if you're a professional player for seven years, correct, John? Pretty much how it's going to work with Bear is since he's over 25, he turns 25 before the July 30th cutoff by four days. And this is if he signs a two-year deal and he would have three consecutive NHL seasons of 11 games or more. So... It's that's why he's qualifying as a UFA. It's not so much the seven years or 27 year old age. It's that's what qualifies him as that group six. Nonetheless, the the risk with him, right? Uh, as much as I really would like to see a long term contract with him and something similar that we got with Clefbaum, that the chances of that happening is just not going to be there, right? He's had a great season this year and whoever his agent is, is going to be pushing for a lot higher than what we're going to be looking for to give him and, and and realistically the amount of money that we're going to have left even though there is 20 million on the books with that nurse uh around six coming into effect as well as what eight other players after bear so 10 players yeah. total having to be signed right like that's a huge chunk of money that's already over half of what's left right so I, a bridge deal is what's going to be proper for bear continue to see if he's actually at the level he's been playing at this year which we do think he is but but just to be safe not giving him that long-term contract right and then in the future when he is 24 almost 25 there we can actually give him a a a stud deal right that'll keep him on our team till he's in his 30s exactly and it just comes down to sample size at the end of the day right like you you look at bear and like anybody that's been listening to us for any amount of time knows that kyle and i are both ethan bear stands absolutely huge fans of him and I'd love him to be an Oiler for a long time. It's just one of those things where small sample size and if you're signing him for a seven, eight year deal like Clefbaum did with the way that the salary cap has gone up and contracts have gotten more expensive for top four defensemen in the last year since Clefbaum signed, you're not getting Ethan Bear for a seven year 4.7 to 4.9 deal. If it is, I have no problem with that contract. I'll give him the money, have less cap space this year because I think it pays off. But I think he's going to look at that with the way the contracts are going up and he's going to be looking for a bigger number. So, I mean, if he's in that $4.5 million range long term, let's do it in my opinion. It's still a bit of risk, but I think 
I think their potential reward outweighs the potential risk there, but I just don't see it playing out that way. So for for argument's sake and for projection's sake, we're going to say he signs a two-year deal at $3 million, which I believe on that bridge deal is going to be the higher end. I think it could easily come in at that 2.6 range uh, or maybe even a little bit less depending on how Holland negotiates. I'm looking up just the comparable for Clefbaum and the percentage that he signed for when he signed on that seven-year contract. It was 5.71%. It says the Edmonton Oilers signed defenseman Oscar Clefbaum to a seven-year contract Sunday. Financial terms are not disclosed, but ESPN reported Clefbaum's contract will have an average annual value of 4.167. So I could see a $900,000 raise on that same kind of thing. So that's a $5 million contract over eight years, right? Seven years. Still Which risky. is what we were talking about. Yeah. Still risky, but I mean, it's comparable. It's that same deal. It is, right? Sorry, I forgot. I thought Clefbaum was making five point or 4.9 for some reason. You said no, that was he 4.17. makes 4.17. Yeah, absolute steal on Clef Bomb there. But anyways, yeah, I mean, it, it is tough. Let's let's just, again, for the intent of this episode, let's say the $3 million number that he's bridged. And I think it would be closer to 2.5, but just we want to be a little conservative there to give us some leeway. Next, we've got Shahan. Now, I've been really stoked on how Shahan's played, especially the last couple months. I, I think you're looking at a two-year deal most likely, probably $1.2 million to $1.6 at the high end. And again, we are going with the high end. So then with Archibald, you look, probably another two-year deal, give him a little bit of term for a reward, probably that $1.1 to $1.5. Now comes the aspect of Matt Benning. Now, I think Matt Benning's a good third-pairing defenseman, and I'd like to have him back but I also look at it where you've got Bouchard coming up. Bouchard will be turning 21 about three weeks into next season with the body of work where he was drafted, how he's progressed, the power play weapon. I think Bouchard's a full-time NHLer next year. So with that, assuming you're keeping Nurse and Bear, which seems very obvious that you would, I got to think that Benning is probably not an oiler next year, especially considering Jones is really set up to be your seventh D man at 850 K and what you're going to pay Benning. He's making 1.9 right now. You're probably looking at a minor raise or around that range. Let's just say $2 million. I really think it's worth it to give that spot to Bouchard. That being said, I think you do that if you're keeping Russell. If you're moving Russell and having Jones keep that spot, I probably want Benning there as more of that defensively reliable guy. But I really like the look. I know a lot of people want to move Russell, and I think he is movable. With one year left, though, one, he's your main veteran on that defensive core. Huge workhorse guy, and I know a lot of people are going to say, yeah, but he can't move the puck. But that's why Bouchard's on that line with him. So... I, I look at it, you look at like the penalty kill value that Russell brings to the team. And I, I really think Russell's an Edmonton Oiler next year. Who knows? Maybe that does get moved and that obviously gives you a little bit of cap space. But just again, for argument's sake, we're going to say that Russell is an Edmonton Oiler for next year. Jones is your seventh D-man. Bouchard is your third pairing right D and most likely power play guy or one of the power play guys. If he doesn't take Clef Bomb's spot, he'll be on that second power play unit. With all of that happening, if it plays out the way Kyle and I, as of right now, think it's going to happen, you have about a little over $7.7 million in cap space with all of those resignings in. Now, as far as the holes left, you have a fourth line center or a top six winger 
if Nuge is slotting in as your third line center, which bumps Shahan back to that fourth line center. You have a backup goaltender and a 13th forward that are still holes on this team. So let's start with the easy side. 13th forward, we already mentioned that list. You've got Gagne, Haas, Russell, Nygaard, Granlund, Yurko. I'm thinking Gagne, considering he's such a big fan favorite, it makes a lot of sense. And he can also add skill to your lineup with injuries. He's a guy that can kind of play wherever in your lineup. He's not a superb NHLer at this stage of his career, but he adds skill and he can fit in on your lineup. So I look at Gagne signing a pretty team-friendly deal, probably around a million bucks, maybe even a little bit less as that 13th guy. Obviously, that cap would be variable. So you're also looking at if Gagne doesn't fill that role, you've got a ton of call-ups you can bring up as well to fill that. Any disagreement there, Kyle? No, no, not at all. I'm just going to, sorry, I'm just going to back up for a second, though. You, like, you'd, you'd ranted there for a second. I just want to comment on a couple of things. Um so Shahan and Archibald, we kind of lumped them together, right? Um, I've I've been a huge fan of Shahan since before the season even started. Archibald to me was an unknown player, um, and again, you saying like those are on the high end of contracts, right? So so just for a little bit of clarity's sake into what their contracts have been before, right? Archibald started with a million dollar contract, and he's worked his way down. Oh, sorry, he's at a million now, but he was at a 659 and a 675 before that. So he really hasn't ever been highly paid, right? So to think that he's going to get any more than 1.1 to 1.5 at the very most, and that's even if he continues to produce when he gets time on the first line with McDavid there, um, like I have to think that's going to be even around like 1.2-ish at the most, right? Like being conservative with it, I guess. Um, Shahan, on the other hand, I could see him pushing up a little bit higher. He has had history of over $2 million contracts. Uh, I just don't think that that's going to come. He's continued to develop into that great two-way center, right, that we've needed. He continues to fill in that third C role. And and as you talked about later on there too, right, the, the potential of moving Nuge down to the third C, which is what realistically we've wanted this team to be, right? That that center threat throughout. Absolutely. Moving, moving Shahan back and being at that 1.2 to 1.6, which is what that fourth line player is valued at, right? We already know he's going to kill it there. And if we have a third line that's a Kara chase on and him, or, or we have Archibald on the line and, and one of them are our 13th forward, right? Um, I, I think that puts our roster in fantastic shape. The one thing I will say about that, Kyle, is I think the only way I'm dropping nudes to the third line, he has to have at least one other high-skilled player. So when you look at like the well, chase no, no, on I, Kara, I, I know. no, for sure, but I'm just like, you look at the tear Nuge has recently been on through January and kind of from the end of last season or last year, the calendar year, I mean, he, he's been with Dreisaitl and Yamamoto and that's why his production is so high. So for to drop him to that third C, it's like you got to have like a Benson there or a Yamamoto there or another acquisition there, right? Bro, I, I totally agree with you, right? And 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 bringing in with that seven seven point seven uh, left that we're projecting on the cap, right? That's where you're going to bring in that top six forward, like you said, and and you'll be able to spend a good amount of money on them because although we have to bring in a backup goalie, a four C and a thirteenth forward. That 4C could be fixed out just by the one signing of the winger, right? And moving Shahan back down to the 4C. Our 13th forward is going to be another seven hundred to $900,000 signing, one or two of them, or within our own system for Marodi, who I think is probably going to be coming up and pushing for a fourth line next year. Or, or again, those signings, right? Bringing back a cave or something, which I, I think we could probably get better at this point than him. Yeah. Um, and then for the backup goalie, 
like we can talk about if you want to bring Smith back, but I think we can also find someone out there. Say we send spend five six million on a player um, for the top six role as a winger, although that's not going to be a superstar. That's still going to get you a decent producing a decent winger, right? Winner, that's just, for sure, you still have a million million and a half easily available room to spend on a backup goalie if it's not Mike Smith, right? So, And I think the thing is, and like I made this mistake after the Sekera buyout last summer, is like you've got to really remember, and I'm not saying you, Kyle, but just anyone listening, you've really got to remember what's going to be used for that cap space, right? Like you look at that 13th forward, let's say Sam Gagne signs for $900,000 as your opening day 13th forward. So that's like that cap hit is not just money to play with that $900,000. Now you have 6.8, a little over $6.8 million. You sign a backup goalie for $1.2 million. If it's not Smith and you're bringing in some guy that's, you know, maybe a little less solid, but you're hoping Koskinen can play that 50, 60 games. And you're just bringing in a guy for 20 or so that 6.8 is now 5.6. And then you add a, so you still have the fourth line center or top six winger. So you have $5.6 million in cap space. But as everyone knows, as last summer went on, Holland is a guy that's going to want a one to $1.5 million buffer in case he has to make a move, bring in a little bit more salary cap, right? So say that 5.6 is now 4.1 with $4.1 million to actually spend on that winger. So it is like as much as I'd really like to say, oh, yeah, we're going to bring in that five, six million dollar player as it sits right now without some without some, you know, adjustment of this roster. It's not as much, but that's really where it comes in. And getting back to your point, Kyle, where you're talking about Shahan and Archibald and those guys, that's where it really becomes key of. What are you paying those guys? Those three hundred thousand right? dollars savings. Shana, those two hundred thousand exactly. dollars savings. Is Shahan making one point six or is he making one point three? Is Bear getting a three million dollar contract for a bridge or are you whittling him down to a two point six? And that was kind of the thing when you know I don't, we don't want to get back into this conversation, but when you look at the Cassian resigning, I'm stoked. There to could have, have been seven hundred thousand. But that's the thing. Yeah. Or even like if it was three hundred thousand dollars less, like a two point nine million dollar deal. Now that's like that. Just when you're tacking that on to that that four point whatever million dollars I said it was, you tack that on bit by bit. And now you're, now you can afford a $5.5 million player, which is going to be, as long as you pick the right player to pay that money to, now you're getting into, you're a bonafide second line winger production level, right? So that's a way you can save money, but let's also look at the other options to create more cap space. I just want to, sorry, mention two, two things quick yeah. before we move on to that. Cause, cause there's two things really that, that, affect me in, in that decision, right? The first one is, and and again, we're recording right now half an hour before the fourth Battle of Alberta. So Benson is playing his first game for the Oilers tonight. We currently haven't seen him play. If he can be what Yamamoto was the second line to help out McDavid and be that top six role, right, then then my God, then we actually have money to spend this season, right? Well, you we can you we can look do. for a third line winger instead, but uh, but I'm saying he's better on the on the third line to push him down and, and make a more stable I, roster, I right? I'm but, not saying that, Kyle, but just sorry, just to kind of pick at that a little bit. Let's yeah. say Benson is that first line player. We've also had the discussion where Neil is much more suited to be a third line winger and a power play specialist, right? So if you're dropping Neil down to the third line and you're dropping nudes down to the third line, even with Benson being that first line winger, you're still looking for a second line winger to play with dry and Yamamoto. 
my other point was going to be just with the Seattle draft next year and who we bring in, we have to be careful because we're going to be protecting them, right? It's obviously, it's going to be not a one-year deal if it's going to be a top six winger we're bringing in. So it's going to be somebody that we're going to want to hold on to. It just has to be the right move, basically. Exactly. Is, is all and and that's really yeah. where it comes into no movement clauses too, right? Because, yeah. you know, you bring in a guy that you think is going to work out. If he has a terrible year, you don't want to be forced to protect him. As I'm looking at it, though, assuming the Oilers go the 7-3-1 route and we're going to, I'm just going to briefly touch on the expansion draft because that was a really good point that you brought up, Kyle. So as of right now, Adam Larson is an expiring free agent that year, right? The 2021 summer that Seattle's coming into the league. So from my understanding from the last expansion draft, how that will work is Seattle can still take him and they will have the rights from the point of the expansion draft to July 1st to exclusively negotiate with Adam Larson. It would be the same thing with Nuge. So Larson, I know he has that kind of like a lot of fans still have that negative impact because of the Taylor Hall trade, but I think we can all he's agree been, that he's, he's a been pretty great since he's came back from his injury. Too. Yeah. <laughs> so that is one of the things where it's really tough to project because in my opinion, how I think it should work is Holland puts the offer on the table before the expansion draft and says, look, Adam, this is what we're willing to pay you. But we can't sign you before because then that means you're exposing Ethan Bear or Darnell Nurse or going the 4-4-1 route and not being able to protect near as many forwards, three less forwards, obviously. So I would say, hey, look, this is the number we have on the board for you. If you get picked by Seattle and they offer you more money or you want to move on and you want to sign there, best of luck to you. If not, you don't accept their deal and that money is still going to be on the table for you July 1st to re-sign with us. So that's obviously something that's going to have to, you know, that happens behind the scenes. We're not privy to that information, but that's how I imagine that going. Now, Nuge, on the other hand, I'm not willing to make that risk for. So I think Nuge is getting re-signed before the expansion draft and hashtag keep Nuge forever. So the protection there is McDavid, Dreisaitl, Nugent Hopkins, Zach Cassian, Yamamoto and Benson for six. So if Neil is still performing very highly and you want to keep him, you can protect him. You have another spot there, right? And personally, I don't think like Neil's going to be. I think you expose Neil no matter what. Exactly. Right. And just for the the cap to compare to what he brings. And I, I like James Neil. I'm soaked. He's an oiler, but he's also going to be a bio candidate at that point. So if you can lose him in the expansion draft, or, or attempt to, you do that, right? So I do look at it this summer. The Oilers can afford to bring in one big forward that they will without a doubt have an opportunity to protect. That's another huge thing with the Zach Cassian negotiation that's a win where he doesn't have a no movement clause at all. So if you bring in two, like if Holland manages to bring in two impact players or say a guy like um, who else would be exposed Puyarvi, but we're expecting him to move. Say this is this is outlandish, and I'm not saying this will happen. But let's just say, for argument's sake, Jujar Kara gets re-signed, and he's all of a sudden a 25 goal scorer. You can still protect him and expose Cassian, right? Like there's there's a lot of options. Like Holland so far has set himself up in a pretty good situation to not really lose a key key piece in the expansion draft. My biggest fear there, honestly, is with Koskinen, that one of our younger goaltenders really develops himself and really proves that he's a future starting goaltender, or maybe two of them do, and you're losing a good goalie prospect. That's my biggest fear. 
But as of right now, we're, we're set fairly well for the expansion draft, to be honest. I would be more than happy if we lost a 27-year-old goaltender through the expansion draft. Who would that be? Like, start at that point? I don't know. No, I'm, I'm thinking, sorry, I'm not thinking start. I'm thinking Rodriguez, Kanovalov, You're thinking, oh, Rodriguez, Skinner. Wells. Well, sorry, Kanovalov, I believe, is exempt because he was just drafted last year. He was but, drafted last year. Yeah, he's exempt. Yeah. Yeah, but the other three wouldn't be, right? You've got, you've got right now... The oh sorry and actually sorry Rodriguez would be exempt as well. I'm just looking at the cap friendly page. So the big guys would be obviously Koskinen. So he has a modified no trade clause. So Koskinen you're you're forced to protect unless he waves it more or less or lists he Seattle as a has place to he submit would go a 15, to. 15 yeah. team no trade list. So yeah, if he yeah. doesn't want to leave, he literally just doesn't put no, Seattle exactly. on put that Seattle. list, and you have Boom. to protect yeah. him. So then you're looking at does Skinner. Is Skinner a guy they take? Is Dylan Wells a guy they take? Like Skinner's kind of the big one as he's starting to play a little bit better in Bakersfield. And that's also a team that's not near as good as it was last year. And we all know that has a big impact. For Seattle's sake, like with all the young goaltenders that are starting to show themselves, just like the young wingers or centers, whatever, fucking like there's no way in my opinion they take a Skinner or Wells unless as you said they just blow up and become for, for some sure. this, crazy this assuming, star like, like, like say next year Skinner is one of the best goalies in the AHL and everyone's like yeah. wow like Oilers really have like a future goaltender here like that's when you start worrying about that yeah but I just see like like I would be taking if I was Seattle right from a team that was in Pittsburgh's position when they took Flurry from when it, Vegas did the expansion right so looking at Columbus, right, with Corpusello starting, having a good season, but all this also, sorry, Elvis uh, Merzilkins, Merzilkins behind him, right, for sure, and and putting Columbus at a at a choice, like which goaltender are you going to stick with, and we'll take the fucking other one, you know, like, but that, that also to me doesn't is protect where they're Edmonton, get right? Like, there's nothing stopping them from taking like five goaltenders, for sure, like yeah, for sure, but I mean, I just see their goaltending coming more from that situation. I think that they're going to be taking. A defenseman from us or a bottom six forward. I'm, I tend to be with you, right? Like you look at you look at the defenseman we're going to have exposed. Caleb Jones is going to be exposed. Lagason's going to be exposed. Joel Person's going to be exposed. Benning, if he resigns, going to be exposed. Adam Larson's going to be a UFA that summer. He if he gets resigned, he's either going to be exposed or they go four four one. So there there's definitely some players depending on development. That's the hard thing with expansion drafts, right? Like we're still over you know 15 months to that expansion draft. A lot could happen for player development. But the other thing to keep in mind for the expansion draft before we get back to the specific salary cap talk is there's always the option of like, say, say we're unable to protect all the players we want. But with say James Neal is just really declining. There's nothing stopping Ken Holland from trying to work out a deal where we're attaching a pick if they draft James Neal, right? And working that out before. it's It didn't happen as often as we were expecting in the Vegas draft. I'm pretty sure, I don't know if the rules have been released yet, but I remember reading that there was rumors that they were talking about how they were going to put in some sort of ruling on how much could be moved and stuff before the expansion draft. If I if I remember right, I could be just talking on my ass right now, but but I, I think there was a lot of flack so with all, what all the Vegas NHL, got. from my understanding, has said is that the Seattle expansion draft is going to have the exact same rules as the Vegas expansion draft, minus Vegas isn't giving up a player. 
which I think is bullshit. But anyways, that that's the rules as far as I know. I don't think they've actually made any changes whatsoever. I, I heard that, but I heard as well that there was going to be changes for like what other teams were allowed to um, like give up and negotiate uh, like as far to as entice, entice Seattle exactly right. with like, hey, we'll give you a first round pick if you take this player instead. I, yeah. I feel like it might be more of like a, the league kind of saying like, hey, we don't want you doing this. But if they were going to make an outright rule where it's like, hey, you can't trade picks to them to take a guy or not take a guy. I think if they were going to do that and make that an official rule, they would have to announce it by now, right? Like Seattle's making their plans. Like other teams are making their plans, right? Like it's not something that's just like a month before the draft, they're going to be like, hey, by the way, you can't do that anymore. But I do get your (laughs) point, right? Where it's like they might... They might crack down on that. That always is always a, a risk. I just don't see it happening either. But nonetheless, that is what we should be doing if we get to that situation, sure. right? Like as you like said, you Neil's to... already buyoutable at that point, so that's who we should be looking to get rid of. He's going to be thirty three again, like you said at that point. So, yeah. so yeah, pushing him out and getting that cap space off the books for for then what fifteen days later at that point next year. Like I think this season, right, uh, is going to be or this off season, sorry, is going to be Holland's real kind of where he builds his roster and we take some real steps towards the Oilers that are going to be his team the following season is where the actual offseason acquisitions come in we get some actual free agent talent we have you know our we were also saying that last year Kyle (laughs) no I mean yeah I mean we said it but but we also talked about how he's going to have room to do stuff this year which he didn't have last year right for sure I don't think that it's going to be like a a completely different team we just showed over like the entire roster right most of the players are going to be back right so let's let's look at with you mentioning Neil let's look at the options if Holland deems that he needs more cap space right and I I look at the UFA class this year and other than a couple really good players I don't think it's a super strong or deep UFA class didn't you say on the top 50 fucking Gagne was 26 that's for points per game so it's a little bit of a so let's look at the options in our opinion of what Holland can do to create more cap space. So as Oilers fans very well know, you could trade Chris Russell. I think Chris Russell is movable. And if he's not like straight across movable, I think if you retain one to $1.5 million of that contract, I think he's for sure movable. Now, a lot of people, I still see this on Twitter and I, I know Kyle, you aren't one of them, but, and I don't know if anyone listening is one of them, but Let's talk about the option of buying out Chris Russell, which isn't an option. So if you buy out Chris Russell this summer with one year left, his cap hit goes from $4 million to $3 million, which even if you sign a bare minimum, league minimum deal, you are saving $300,000. Then next year, when he normally wouldn't, sorry, this is the season after this upcoming season, the 21 season, he would have a hit of 500,000 where if you don't buy him out, he's off your books by then. So I really just don't like, it's just not an option. So if you're, if you're one of those people on Twitter, that's like, let's just buy out Chris Russell this summer. Look at cap friendly. Look at the, look at the bio calculator. It's just not an option. Like it just, we're going to be spending more money to replace him. And then, and then yeah, like although $500,000 isn't a big deal at the end of the day, that's, that's not the point. Right. It, and it still does it come back to that. It's stupid as buying out Eric Griba for no reason. Like we did. Yeah, like it makes no fucking sense. Like it, it just it it literally doesn't. It's just because people 
are sick of him being the scapegoat on our team. I think Nurse has been a worse defenseman than him so far this year. I don't care if anybody fucking disagrees with that. That's the way it's been. Wow. Fucking bold, Bear has carried Nurse. Here. I'm gonna say that. Oh man. wow! Fucking, I think Nurse has played better as of late. I'll say that. But let's we're not I, we're not getting as of late. No, yes, but yeah. we're getting sidetracked here. Yeah, sorry. Let's talk about another option is James Neal. So I don't think James Neal is straight across movable, especially for like substantially less cap hit. You look at the players he's producing with. Look at his production coming strictly from the power play on the league's best power play. I don't think he's all that movable at his age and cap hit. But one of the big, big wins that we talked about when the Lucic trade happened for James Neal is Neal is extremely buyoutable. So if you look at buying him out this summer, you get a savings for every year. He would have three years left. For those next three years, you save 3.833 repeating million dollars every year so if you bought him out with three years left after those three years of savings are done he has a cap hit for 1.9 for an additional three years a little over 1.9 million so it's a little bit of a risk but with the cap going up that's a pretty reasonable contract about if they deem that they need that 3.8 million dollars in savings or they wait till the next summer if he doesn't get taken in the seattle expansion draft you can buy him out you get two years of savings and only two years of additional cap hit than you normally would so it is one of those things where that's really buyoutable i think he plays one more year and they try and maybe dump him in the seattle expansion draft but if holland sees an opportunity that it's like shit we need you know a little under four million dollars in cap space this year to make a make a move that he thinks is going to make them a contender that's an option I don't necessarily think it's going to happen, but wanted to voice that. And my third option is replacing Benning with Bouchard on his ELC. You save about a million dollars there, assuming Benning signs for about two million. So that's something we already have projected in that $7.736 million projection of that move happening. As much as I like Benning, and I think there is a decent chance he actually does return and what me and Kyle are thinking doesn't happen, but that's the way I'm looking at it right now. But it is interesting. Like, I, you know, I look at it and I think the conclusion we're coming to, and this has been on Twitter as well, but we wanted to do our own work and make, make sure you're going to see a middle end top six winger UFA come to Edmonton this summer is kind of our thought, right? Or the other option is you keep Nuge up in the top six. You don't need a winger anymore, assuming Benson fills that role or Neil's a stopgap or maybe Archibald plays with Cassian and McDavid. He's looked good there in a very small sample size. Maybe you put that money where you say, hey, look, we got $4 million to spend on this player while still getting a good 13th forward and a good backup goaltender. Maybe they look at upgrading the third center position directly via free agency and having Shahan be your fourth line center. That's another issue Kyle and I didn't really talk about before. They just kind of popped into my head. Yeah, man, I, I'm I don't know what else to say about the roster, right? I think we broke it down as well as we can. As as much as there is that twenty million dollars that people are gonna be talking about and how we can do so much with it. It's really not going to happen, especially so if Nurse signs for $6 million, right? I think a lot of what our off-season acquisitions are next year depends on that Nurse signing. Nurse and, and two, going back, yeah, and, and as well going back to that casting signing, right? Like, not that we needed to get into it, but it could have been cheaper than what it was, right? right. So, um, yeah, it, it's it's going to be fun, I guess, moving forward. It's it's nice to see a competitive Oilers team again and, and have some faith in a general manager that can bring us an actual roster next year that we can, instead of heading into this season being like, oh, it'd be nice to be a bubble team, we can actually head into next season being like, yeah, we're going to fuck some bitches up. Yeah. So, yeah. 
it, it's it's nice to be an Oilers fan right now is all I'm going to say about the situation. There's lots of reasons to be optimistic. I think Holland's put himself in a decently good position to improve year over year. And the other thing we've got to think about too, we're still one of the youngest teams in the NHL. Like this team is going to continue to improve just based off of prospect progression. And we've been drafting fairly well as of late. So it is, there's lots of reasons to be positive. As we go into that trade deadline, I do want to say one kind of last PSA a lot of people kind of say like, oh, like they don't have any cap space, right? So the way the deadline cap space works, though, is it's calculated by like your daily accrued cap hit, right? So the Oilers projected cap space as of right now is a little over $3 million. So to say they can't bring in an option is not true. But it's going to be really interesting to see how this trade deadline works out. Anyways, thank you very much for listening, everybody. We're looking forward to coming back next week and also telling you about our vacations and seeing how those Oilers are doing and sharing our stories of watching those live Oiler games in the United States. I just hope I don't get shot. (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) Okay, everybody, that wraps up another episode of the Oil Country Podcast presented by the Hockey Podcast Network, every team, everywhere. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. We really appreciate the support. As far as our schedule, we do release episodes every Monday and Thursday through the Hockey Podcast Network. You can search them up on any podcast app, SoundCloud, iTunes, et cetera, et cetera, the whole nine yards. The other new exciting thing that's going to be happening in the next uh, about a week into February is we are getting our own individual feeds with the Hockey Podcast Network. So you can still continue to subscribe to the main feed and get 31 teams podcasts in addition to the extra ones with Terry Ryan, et cetera, et cetera. Or if you want to just listen to us, if that's, you're just looking for your Oilers fix, you can look up the oil country podcast feed presented by the hockey podcast network. That's the best way to get our episodes as early as possible and auto download those to your device or stream them or whatever you want to do. After you guys listen to us, if you want to get in contact with us or give us any feedback, we would love if you could hit us up on Twitter at at Oil Country Pod, or you can leave us a text or a voicemail at 587-415-2894. You can also reach us at www.oilcountrypodcast.com. We are a little bit late with updating our archived episodes, so we're a little bit behind there. We know most people listen to a feed, so we're not super, super concerned there, but that is on our to-do list. But you can contact us through there. If you want to be a guest on our show, leave a question for us. You can contact us through that website, and it's got a little bit more information for you there as well. One of the things, if you are enjoying what you're hearing from us, the thing you can do that helps us out the absolute most, obviously sharing on social media, et cetera, et cetera. But if you leave us a review, I know some services don't let you leave that review, but I know if you're on iTunes or Google Play, anything like that, if you leave us a positive review, five-star review, if you are really liking us, that helps us with the charts and to gain more listeners and everything like that. And it would be very much appreciated. The one last thing that we're going to do before we leave you is we want to give a shout out to our personal partner, Alley Cat Brewery in Edmonton, Alberta. If you go in there at any time, you can say THPN to your server and you'll get 10% off your bill. We are another exciting thing going on with Alley Cat. We are planning on recording a live episode at the end of the month when Kyle is in Edmonton. So we're going to do that on location Keep that in mind. We're going to, we'll get you guys more details and everything like that as we get a little bit closer to the date. But if anybody wants to come in and meet us or sit in on a live recording, you can definitely do that. And we are super stoked to have uh, maybe just a couple beers at Alley Cat and see what happens with the night.
I'm having more than a couple for sure. (laughs) Thank you again for listening. We will talk to you guys on next episode.